0: just love that feeling of you know you've got a course whatever it is um, you know point A to point B along this line and it's you and your equipment and here's your time and go and um, you know there's no there's no support vehicles there's no you know all the hoopla it's just it's just very simple on that it's just you and your skills and your gear and uh, and the
1: route This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun.
2: Episode 243, Hefe Branham talks about bikepacking and the Colorado Trail Race. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. Hefe Branham is originally from Connecticut, but has since transplanted himself to beautiful Gunnison, Colorado, where he spends his work days as a bike mechanic and his free time mountain biking, bikepacking, and endurance racing. In 2014, Hefe won the 2,700 mile Tour Divide, and he's even won the 500 mile Colorado Trail Race four times now. Hefe, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
3: Appreciate Good here. to have you.
2: All right, man. Let's jump into it. So first, I alluded uh, to you growing up in Connecticut. Let's talk a little bit about that and what made you transplant yourself to Gunnison, Colorado.
0: Um, you know, um, you know, I would say I have a fairly normal background growing up in Connecticut. Um, didn't wasn't really into all that much adventure. Um, never went camping. Um, was pretty pretty straightforward. Um, enjoyed relatively normal sports like cross country running and hockey and stuff like that. And then um, um, I had some friends actually who went to uh, school at Western here in uh, Gunnison and they were coming out for their uh, sophomore year and they uh, couldn't shop about how cool it was. So I just, I knew I needed to get out of the East coast. Um, I knew I needed a change. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I had never even been to Colorado before. So, but uh, it just, it just, it pulled me in, and um, next thing I know, I packed up all I had and moved across the country, and I've uh, been here ever since.
2: Wow, so you flew blind, just trusting, trusting some buddies, huh?
0: Yep, yeah, and just, just, I mean, it was, you know, I was 19 years old, and um, I definitely didn't know what I was doing with myself. I knew that I really wasn't into the,
3: I don't know, I mean, I hate
0: to say it with a blanket statement, but the materialism that is kind of dominant um, in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, that's kind of like, you know, It's kind of how you prove yourself in Connecticut is having more and nicer stuff than other people. And it never really appealed to me all that much. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself, but I knew that it was something else. And um, I would have to say that moving to Colorado definitely changed my life. Um, I mean, who knows what it would have been otherwise, but um, it took me a while to get used to it. But I mean, being here, um, especially in the Gunnison Valley, there's just so many amazing athletes and um, you can't help, but be inspired by all the things that people around here do. And it really just kind of opens your eyes to like, Oh, Whoa, whoa I-, I can go do that too. And, um, and that kind of where it all really began was, uh, actually with the Colorado trail. And, um, I started, I think it was back in like 94. Um, I, I hiked the Northern half of the Colorado trail and, um, it was definitely a, a big switch in my life. And it just totally everything from then on has been all about being outside and, um, adventure and, um, testing the limits and, um, just being outside. Really. Um, it really, really Colorado really just changed, changed me for that way. Um, just, just such a beautiful, beautiful place. It really makes you appreciate being out there.
2: Yeah, I can relate. I moved out here from Connecticut as well. And the the biggest impact on me, and I had come out here skiing, uh, with family prior to moving out here. Um, but the biggest impact was just the, the open, uh space that we have out here i mean you can see for miles you know stand on the plains or you know on a mountaintop and just see the uh the grandeur of the state and back in the east coast it's really hard to see anything everything's sucked in you know by trees and hills and often weather you know and you get out here it's like wow you know there's a whole world uh out there in my backyard to go explore
0: yeah and not not only that but just the 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 amount of public land and access that we have here in colorado Mm, as well um really really kind of um invites you to get out there and 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 not just do a quick little trip but like get out there and you can just keep going and that's what i think is um very inspiring for a lot of endurance athletes is that there's it's not like you're just doing the same loop over and over again you really can just go and go go and 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 see things you know even if you have seen them before see them in a different way but you're more likely to see something you haven't seen before because it's just there's so much ground um it really is just just awe-inspiring
2: really yeah well, that leaves perfectly into uh our topics of mountain biking, backpacking, and endurance racing so let's jump in. i got like a, a million things I want to talk to you about, and I'm afraid we're going to run out of some time. Yeah. so so let's do it so <laughs> starting with mountain biking um how is it you ended up getting into it? It sounds like you didn't do a lot of it back in Connecticut, so something you know snapped.
0: the last couple of years I lived in Connecticut, we just started to mountain bike that was like um like probably like nineteen ninety maybe eighty nine um you know, we, we were, as kids, we were always running our bikes in the woods. And, um, usually it was just the MX bikes or crappy old 10 speeds. Um, so we were always out in the woods, basically mountain biking, but on a bike that wasn't designed for it. Um, and so even we were, you know, teenagers, we saw these bikes and it was like, well, that, that, that's what we want, you know? And, um, you know, and, let's face it, the bikes back then were just terrible, but, um, <laughs> but they still, they got us out there and, um, And uh, it definitely, you know, I I, I was definitely into mountain biking um, even before I moved out here. The last couple of years I was in Connecticut. And um, it it was definitely a little bit of a translation um, moving out here because back east, like, to me, single track back east was just, like, tight, rooty. You couldn't see the next turn. And then you come out here and it's just wide open space and um, just a different kind of style of riding. But it. It definitely, you know, it took me a couple years. Um, actually, in the first couple years I was out here, I, I did mountain bike, but then I kind of gave it up for a little while. Um, I wasn't making enough money to really support keeping a mountain bike operable, and I wasn't patient enough to learn how to do it myself. And, um, I actually gravitated into backpacking. Um, and like I said, I hiked the Colorado Trail, and, um, I did that probably for like four or five years. I was a pretty hardcore backpacker. And then, um, and then I eventually drifted back into mountain biking. Um, because I, I wanted, well, what happened was, is I was uh, also a snowshoer when I was a backpacker, and then I picked up skiing, um, cross country and backcountry skiing. And that, that movement from just stomping along, never doing more than three miles an hour to, um, gliding and being able to fly down the downhills really opened my eyes to being able to cover more ground and, and having a more of just a, a plodding experience but having an experience being out there was a little bit more exciting and that I basically transferred that by getting into mountain biking versus backpacking and I immediately got into bike backing uh, because I was still into the camping um, and getting out there and uh, spending more time than just a few hours out there Um, so it was just like that progression of uh, finding that excitement um, as well as just being out there and soaking it all in.
2: Oh yeah, I can relate. The uh, I've you know ever since I started mountain biking, similar story back in Connecticut. Started riding back there, and, and I don't remember what I had. Some giant, um, giant steel, you know, hardtail. Obviously back then, um, just heavy thing. But you know, from oh, yeah. day one, I always thought, man, I would love to strap a pack on you know, and and go a long distance on this thing, you know, before bikepacking was ever a thing. And of course, my idea was that I'd carry everything on my back and that would be brutal. Right. But, uh, you yep. know, to find ourselves, you know, in today's age and with all the bikepacking equipment available, it is, I mean, it's truly, it's something that that you can, you can do, like you said, you're not just plodding along at three miles an hour, you can actually cover some ground, but you're, yep. you're riding slow enough to actually witness and experience your surroundings, yet cover some distance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have found, you know, that the bicycle is a great way to see things, um, because you, you do, you know, especially when you're you're climbing, which is most of the time, you're, you're, you're heads up, you're able to look around. Um, it's not like a cross country race where your head's buried and you're looking at your front tire, you know, you're, you're able to, to look around and really see it all. Um, but you get those little blurps of time where you're, you feel like you're going kind of fast and it definitely adds a level of excitement. And that, I think that excitement really makes it extremely addictive and, and compelling. And then it just makes the city you really want to get back out there and do it
2: again. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Addictive yeah. is the word. yeah for sure i want to dive into the uh the colorado trail but before we do i mean that's more self-serving i want to know about it because uh, uh obviously knowing the the colorado trail for hiking i've always known that but not so much in the the sense of bike packing it so but before we want to do that i want to talk about a little race called the tour divide that uh you competed in and won in 2014 so tell me a little bit about that what what got you uh started up to uh to ride the tour divide that's a that's a hellish race, from what I understand.
0: Um, yeah, it's definitely a, quite an experience. Uh, I mean, anytime you're trying to cover 2,700 miles and change um, <laughs> with mountain weather thrown in, is bound to be an adventure. Um, but the Tour Divide, the Tour Divide is actually the, the race that captured my imagination um, and got me into bike pack racing um, to start with. Um, I I had heard about it was actually originally called the Great Divide Race, I believe. Um and it didn't include the Canadian section. That was basically the difference. It was just border to border. Mm-hmm. And I heard about that, I think it was two thousand four. Um was the first running of that race. And I and I, you know, the internet wasn't super big on it. Like you didn't there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. But I remember catching some blurps here and there and it was just like, What? Like what? Like it, it just blew my mind that like like I think they averaged like a hundred and fifty five miles a day back then. And, and it just blew my mind. Like I honestly, I honestly couldn't imagine doing it. Like to me, at that point, still riding 100 miles was, was daunting, and um, and it just it just never left my head. And it really, um, it really, really pulled me forward and made me try a lot of things in order to that because I knew that I wanted to do that someday. Uh, but I would say that I was extremely afraid of it. Um, I was scared of a lot of the situations that I would arise doing that, and I was just basically scared, and I didn't do it for years. And, um, and so what I did was I just did all these, you know, smaller races to kind of train myself, um, to do the tour divide successfully. Um, so I started, I started with the grand loop, which is a little race, um, little loop outside of grand junction. And I also did the Arizona trail race and the Colorado trail race. And, um, and then eventually worked myself up to doing the tour divide for the first time in 2011. And then I did it again in 2014. And, um, I'll have to say that it is, it's one of those things where I think there's a lot of people who are interested in it and whose imagination is captured by it. And I just have to say, if you are captured by it, don't wait forever. Like I did go out there and do it because it is a very, I mean, it's hard. It's brutal. It'll make you cry. It'll make you want to go home, but it is an amazing experience. Um, The first time I did, it was just absolutely powerful. And um, it, it was just, it was just such an amazing time to be out there and I mean, even though it hurt so much, I would not have traded it any minute I was out there for any other experience. It was just so fulfilling. And like I said, it was such a dream that I wanted to do for so long that it felt so good to be out there. And um, it, it was just, it, it, it's a cool experience. It, it, it's, it's definitely different than doing these other races like the Colorado Trail Race, which are relatively short in time. Um, you know, you kind of get into the zone and then it's over. Whereas the Tour Divide, it, it really does feel more like a tour uh, because it feels like your lifestyle becomes basically riding your bike finding food and water uh, finding shelter um, and repeating it and and you've it's, you're out there long enough that you really get into this groove um, and it really yeah and it really just um, it, it feels like it's your life and it, it, it's a very um, it's a very fulfilling way to to travel and and like we said before um, you get to see some very very rural and um, beautiful places. And it's just a really cool little slice of America, um, that you really get to experience firsthand and that you were just, you're there, you know, you're, you're riding in it every day. You're seeing the sunrises and the sunsets, you're sleeping in the dirt. Um, you're seeing all the animals. It's just, it's, you're, you're just so in that zone that it's a, it's a very special experience. And like I said, if anybody out there is thinking about doing it, I'm not saying rush in there unprepared, but make it happen. Um, because life's too short not to live your dreams and it is, it is a worthwhile dream for sure.
3: Yeah,
2: right. Well, you make a good point, you know, and we all know, you know, many of us, we take a day hike or, you know, an overnighter, um, or we, you know, go on a, a short uh, ride, whether it be a mountain bike or, or a motorcycle or something. And it takes you the, a day or two just to get into that rhythm, that groove, like you said. But if you're out there for multiple days on end, you finally get over that that kind of hump. You know, after those first couple of days, and you finally do reach that yep. groove, and that it transitions into a completely different adventure. In that point,
0: yep, it becomes you're basically like you're, you're completely saturated by the experience, mm-hmm. and that um, can be both really, really, really wonderful. And you know, when it's not going well, it can be really painful too, <laughs> because you are you are surrounded by nothing but. Um, more of that experience you know it's not like you're gonna like all of a sudden be back in your living room yeah right like you are you're, you're there and you have to get to the next point at least um before you could even think about bailing um but the the just it really is just an amazing experience um highly suggest it for sure
2: so while we're still on the tour divide share with us a story um good or bad from the from one of your races uh, from
0: the divide, yeah um sure i'll uh I'll tell you the probably the most heartbreaking story of the divide for me um was um it was two thousand fourteen and um like like we were talking about, it was my second my second run and um and I'll be completely honest with you i I went out there going for the record, I wanted the record and I wanted the win, and um I trained really hard for it. I did so much preparation. And uh, it it definitely was my focus. And um, the start of the race, it was raining and snowing. And it rained and snowed, I think, for like four and a half or five days, basically (laughs) straight. Um, And and, and, and living in the mountains, you you get your butt kicked pretty regularly if you're out there enough. And um, and I've gotten my butt kicked more times than I can count. And I'll tell you, that four and a half days was just just brutal i mean it just decimated me um and like i said i was really focused on the record so despite the fact that the weather was terrible conditions were not fast i was still doing everything in my power to stay at record base so i was basically sleeping less to make it happen and um i was probably going close to 20 hours a day and um i was leaving butte montana and um I actually bumped into uh, Rob Leipenheimer, who runs the Sportsman up there, and he's um, normally his shop is right on the route, but they changed the route for 2014, so it didn't go by. And um, I was at a gas station in Butte, food fueling up, and um, he happened to he happened to see my tracker, and he came out looking for me to make sure everything was okay. And um, we were talking for a few minutes, and he's like, "Do you know there's a big storm coming in tonight?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's been raining and snowing the last four and a half days." And he's like, "Well, there's a big." <laughs> storm coming and i'm like are you kidding me and he's like yeah and i'm like well i'm going you know like i'm going like i'm not stopping and so anyways i take off i leave butte and it just is just the nastiest night and it starts snowing, and you go over this one it's pretty legendary you know when it's dry it's known as uh uh Fleece ridge and um there's a section of it where there's no trail and then there's a section where you go basically straight fall line down the hillside and it's marginally rideable even in dry conditions and um and I got up there and there were six inches of fresh snow and it was just white out conditions and it was snowing like crazy. And I I basically blew apart going over Fleece Ridge and uh, coming down the other side, I uh, eventually got out of the snow and it was just raining
3: and um, and
0: I was just frozen to the core and uh, I didn't have a tent. I just had a bivvy and I knew that I couldn't bivvy out that night. Um, I just, I was soaking wet. There's no way I was going to get warm. Uh, my teeth were chattering. And, um, and I was basically forced to get a hotel room in, in Wise River Montana and uh, take a shower and sleep in a warm bed just in order to get my body temperature back up and in that moment I just I, the, my shot of the record just evaporated and um, and as I tossed and turned in that hotel bed as warm and comfortable as it was all I could think about was the fact that I felt like I should have been out there in the rain and just sucking it up and it was it was just really heartbreaking to basically have the dream that i had going into this basically taken away and um and it was you know it's still it's still it still sings a little bit to this day um to be completely honest because i don't know if i'll be able to get back out there for the tour divide again and um and uh just just how weather can just completely uh completely change what you have been planning for years and and like i said it was definitely a heartbreaking moment for me
2: Oh yeah, weather can make it a completely different, completely race, different. a different course. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine I mean, you yeah. can't plan for it. You just simply have to to go on the dates that everybody's going and just hope that it, yep. it turns out. But yeah, that's kinda, that's gnarly. a major bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what freaks me out about bike packing. Um, I love the idea, and I haven't done it yet. Um, have a mountain bike, but I'm still trying to figure out how to get gear on it. It's a full suspension, which you know chews up a lot of the uh, the inside of the frame where you can carry a lot of yep. your gear. But the thing about bike packing is you're so limited on gear, and it just freaks me out. Like something like the Tour Divide, you can go through so many different um, temperature ranges and, you know, geological, uh, areas that how in the world do you prepare with gear for that? I mean, you're talking bivy. I mean, so you don't sleep well in a bivy. I mean, you're slightly protected from the elements, but this is not warm camping.
0: No, it's not. Um, it's definitely different. You know, anytime you're, you know, even, even backpacking, anytime you're carrying everything, um, it's always a compromise between comfort and uh, weight, mm-hmm. basically, or or space, one of the two. Um, so you're definitely you're definitely compromising, and 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 anytime you throw the word race into things, it <laughs> changes things even more because you're you're so much more focused on speed, and at some level, weight has an effect on your speed. And so, I mean, if you saw my gear list for the True Divide in 2014, you'd probably laugh because. I barely carried anything. I mean, and, and looking back, I probably should have paid a little bit more, but if I was to do it again, I probably wouldn't carry that much more because it it really does. Um, all that weight slows you down when you're trying to do 200 miles a day. And, um, it's, uh, you know, like it is a compromise, but in some of that is just, um, it's just experience and just being out there and, and, um, and learning how to stay warm and places to camp that keep you warmer and drier, Um, things like that can really boost your confidence. And they often say with anything ultra light, um, is you can't go ultra light unless you have the experience to go with it. Um, you can go by the lightest gear, but if you don't know how to use it and you're not being smart, um, you could very, very easily ruin your trip. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I I did a lot of camping a lot of backpacking and a lot of bike backing before I tried any of these things. So I would say experience has a huge part in making that a little less scary for sure.
2: Yeah. Go, go do it. If you want to do the tour divide, go do it, but definitely uh, get yourself set up uh, uh, mentally and with the correct gear, with the right training. Well,
0: there's a, um, there's a term called the sub 24. I don't know if you've heard of that.
2: No, Um, but it's basically, uh,
0: it's basically just doing a a sub 24 hour uh, bike backing trip. And, um, You know, depending on where you live, it's it's a fairly easy thing to pull off. You know, Um, like living here in Gunnison, it's it's very easy to go like maybe five or ten miles and find an amazing camp spot where you won't see anybody else. Um, And so it's a you know basically the idea is that you 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 go to a familiar place and um, that's not that far away, and um, but you still you leave town, you have all your gear, you go someplace and you set up your camp. And, um, and you have that experience and, and every time you do that, it builds confidence and it builds experience and it allows you to, to look at it, um, differently and, and maybe look a little bit farther, a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. And it's, it's, it's baby steps, you know, like there's a lot of people, believe it or not, who show up for the tour to buy it and it's the first bikepacking experience. Really? And that seems, that sounds insane, but it's not unusual. Wow. Um, and so, but a lot of those people don't make it very far either, and so, you know, I temper my 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 advice to go out and do it with also the advice of being prepared for it too, and um, do those little trips because the little trips are awesome. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with little trips. Um, little trips are the foundation for for the big trips for sure. Um, so yeah, a little bit of homework makes uh, makes everything a lot better for sure.
2: Yeah, well, they're not only uh, good ways to get your gear straight and comfortable with it, but I imagine they're also confidence boosters at the same time as you take exactly. your steps up. Yep. You know, finally get to to walking, then running, yep. and then racing. You know, you're it helps a ton. exactly. <laughs>
1: Bentgate Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bent Gate carries the premier brands including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rossignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. The 180 Flame is the
2: ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fill you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180TAC.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. All right. Let's talk about the Colorado trail then. Um, again, like I said, I've known plenty about the Colorado trail and and hiking it. Um, but it wasn't until recently did I discover the actual Colorado trail race. So this started back in 2007, correct?
0: Yep. Yep. 2007 was the inaugural.
2: Yep. Yep. 2007. And it's nearly, um, 500 miles. What I understand is it's gone through a, a few iterations since the, uh, the birth of it in 07, so I imagine the mileage has, has ranged a little bit. But you have yep, written sure. it, did I get it right, eight times now?
0: Uh, let see. I think I finished it seven times. I started it one other time and didn't finish. Okay. Um, 2011, I started it, and it was the same year I did the tour divide, and um, that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a good excuse. I'll, I'll let you have that yeah.
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I made it to Leadville wow. and, um, it was before I got to Leadville, but I was like, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of time and I definitely was not going to be able to do it in the time I had and, yeah. and, uh, going into Leadville, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is not going to happen.
2: A <laughs> little, so, little too gung ho that year.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was definitely way too gung ho. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All reality right. was a much different
2: situation. I'm sure. So let's go into what the trail is. Now, for those that don't know what the Colorado Trail is, uh, maybe out of state, this is a trail that runs from essentially Littleton, uh, which is southwest uh, Denver, and runs out to Durango, which is in the southwest corner of the state. Um, like I said, it's uh, roughly 500 miles. What kind of, um, is loaded question, what kind of elega- uh, elevation gain are we talking here? I read it's pretty extreme.
0: Um, you know, I, I, I believe that, um, they're saying it's between 60 and 70,000. Yeah. 70 table. is what I read. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't think my GPS clocked it last time I did it. Um, so I, I can't verify that that's a hundred percent true, but I've heard it from a few different sources. So I would say it's probably about right. Um, and that's one thing that sets the Colorado trail race apart from a lot of other, uh, bike races. It's just, there is a lot of up and down, um, and um, as anybody who's probably ridden in the mountains in Colorado can attest to you, it, it, there's rarely too much flat. Uh, you're pretty much going up or you're going down, and it's usually pretty steep and rough in between. Um, and, yeah, in the Colorado Trail, the, the race itself has changed quite a bit from the beginning. Um, as um, more sections of trail have been basically built by the Colorado Trail Foundation, um, they've been slowly adopted by the race itself. Um, so it, it's actually gotten a lot harder. And it's gotten longer, um, over the years. Um, the original course was actually quite a bit easier than the current course. The current course is definitely really, really, really hard. Um, I would say it's, it's the hardest course is the current course for sure. Wow. And they also reverse, they also reverse the direction every year now too. Um, last year we went Denver to Durango and I believe this coming year will be Durango to Denver. It alternates every year now, which throws a curveball into things too.
2: So how does that? Um, yeah. uh, how do they compare? Going, uh, I don't, I don't know if I want to say east to west, west to east, or <laughs> north to south. But yeah. how does it compare between um, Denver to Durango and back?
0: You know, they, it's still very much up to up uh, for debate which way is "quote unquote" faster or easier. Um, they both kind of have their own unique um, challenges um, um, as far as resupply. I would say the resupply is um, definitely um, a little different going in the different directions, and also. You know, I think that you don't hit treeline going out of Denver for like, I think like 70 miles or something like that. Whereas you hit treeline like 25 miles in going out of Durango. So you, you do a lot more climbing right up the bat and you get kind of a, a good slap in the face really quickly going out of Durango. Um, But yeah, either way, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, I wouldn't say either direction is, is, easy by any means. And I, I really couldn't tell you if one of them's is easier than the other. They're both really, really tricky. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite either. Um, I, I like it in both directions, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question.
2: <laughs> no, it does. And, you know, it's how, the, it's, how it's typically answered on the, uh, you know, any of the, the three AT, PCT and uh, CDT. It's, you know, it's the same. You're either going to get the steep stuff out of the way Uh, off the bat or you're going to warm up, but one way or another, you got to deal with it. And do you want to deal with it while you're exhausted or do you want to get slapped in the face right away? I mean, I know living on the front range, every time I go mountain biking, I have to ride up, you know? So it's, you know, my poor son is like, why are we always starting out our rides going up? I said, well, you live in the flatlands,
3: (laughs) you know, you got to ride up to climb.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got to climb. No, for sure. And that, I mean, that, that's definitely the case. A lot of people say that going out of Durango, you, you do, some of the hardest stuff when you're a little bit fresher. Um, but I, like I said, I don't know if it really is any easier. It's just a kick in the pants either way.
2: Right. Right. Well, here's what blows me away. I mean, we're talking again, like I said, 500 miles and the course records, I think we're down, we're under four days now, right? Three days, 19 hours.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember what Neil did it in this year, but he was definitely under three days. Um, I want to say you, yeah, I, I can't remember the, the number, but yeah, yeah, uh, 50. Yep, and I, I did a, a a shorter, easier course. Uh, I think it was two thousand twelve. Um, I was I was the first one to go under three days. Um, I did literally like it was three twenty-three forty-two or something like that. <laughs> like I couldn't have been any closer to under four days, but and that was a significantly easier course. Um, I really can't imagine going sub four days on the current course. It's it's fifty miles longer, and I think it's got ten thousand more verticals than the one I did it on. And so it's 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 really impressive um, that they're still going under four days. Man. Could it be? But part of me just doesn't want to go there anymore, right? Um, just because it requires so much, uh, so little sleep, I should say. Um, not only you have to be going fast, but you. I mean, I think Neil was sleeping an hour hour a night uh, when he set the record this year. And, um, that's how I've done it in the past is basically sleeping an hour a night. And it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of an interesting experience, but it's not necessarily a very pretty one. And I, I don't necessarily want to do that again.
2: No, no, I can't. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine riding it. I mean, I want to ride it. I want to ride the trail in the two weeks or whatever it takes for a normal person like me to ride the trail, but I can't even yeah, right? imagine riding it with that little sleep, uh, at, at a... A nice pace, you know, much less race the thing yeah. with an hour of sleep. That's got to be torture on your body. It's pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> I won't deny it. it's uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty crazy experience. Yeah, and 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 honestly, the difference uh, between doing like a four and a half day CTR and a sub four day CTR is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, that twelve trying to trim that twelve hours off um, is just is just mind-blowingly difficult. Um, I know that sounds kind of crazy to a lot of people, um, but for myself, the last two years um, I've done it. I was, I think I was like four twelve or something, and four fifteen the last two years. And, and and there's definitely some very uncomfortable moments out there. Um, but for me, it's 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 not that hard to do a sub five day, but to do a sub four day is just brutal. I mean, the difference is insane um and it's just so much less sleep so much more pushing uh your body um just just that much harder and um it's just it's it's very very difficult um and yeah honestly anything under i mean i would say anything under nine days is still damn respectful as far as um a pace goes Cause you you're still pushing it really hard, you're still not sleeping a lot, you're still enduring a lot of, of crappy weather and really long days and um a lot of saddle time so it's it's um i mean my, my hat's off to anybody who finishes the Colorado trail period, um, but if you're doing it under nine days you you're you're uh you're a haunch
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, no doubt yeah. I'm gonna leave that up to you guys. I have dreams of riding it, but like I said, I'll take the two weeks or more, and I will probably end up having to do it in a couple different trips. <laughs>
3: I mean, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I in mean, all life, honesty. life gets in the way of things like stuff like that. No, and, and and you know, you know, coming from somebody who is into the speed aspect, um, I think that doing it on a tour is 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 an absolutely beautiful, wonderful endeavor. Um, I think that racing has its place, but touring is definitely a, a great way to do things too. And I mean, I've done it enough times that I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by riding all night. Um, see, missing, you know, a lot of, uh, beautiful flowers and stuff like that, because I can still imagine in all the other times that I've been through those same sections. So I can kind of fill in the blanks even if it is dark. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of people who've said that, you know, riding the Colorado trail, um, any of it at night is just, just, just wrong. <laughs> Basically that like missing any of that ground, yeah. uh, missing seeing any of that ground. is just, is just wrong because it's just so such, such a beautiful, beautiful trail. Um, I mean, not the trail itself, the trail itself varies from beautiful to awful, but the terrain you go through, <laughs> it's just really, really spectacular. And there's places on the Colorado trail that, you know, I've been, I haven't been, Everywhere, but I've been a lot of places and there are a few locations along the trail that are just the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, just really, really, really pretty spots. Um, and racing it, like I can't tell you how many times you like go by a spot. You're
3: like, that is the most
0: perfect camp spot I've ever seen. And you're like, ah, yeah, but I'm going to keep riding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's almost heartbreaking how many times you're like, wow, that is the most perfect spot. Or or you do pass someone who is camped and they have their campfire going and you're like, yeah you're like no i'm just gonna keep riding to the night by myself talking to myself singing songs going crazy you know so there's definitely i i i applaud people who go out there and just tour it i think it's a a spectacular way to see the trail and um not everybody should race um racing is a great thing but touring
2: it is is just spectacular i think Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it someday. Well, I don't want to get off that uh, topic without mentioning that, uh, you may have started eight times, completed seven times, but out of those, you won it four times. That's, that's pretty darn impressive.
0: Yeah, I guess I have won it four times, haven't I?
2: That's, uh, that's pretty serious. I mean, uh, I don't, I haven't really paid attention to how many entrants are in these things, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, to win it four times—that's uh, that's an impressive feat. So kudos to you, man.
0: Thanks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, a lot of it is that the fact that I started seven times, and um, and you know, like this year, I mean, the win—I mean, I, I, I technically I won, but I don't really feel like I won the race this year. Um, with Neil starting a day after us and and going basically faster than everybody. Um, I don't know if you know the story, but this year's race, but uh, no. Neil Bauchenko started with everybody else and um, got about 30 miles in and laid his bike down on a switchback and broke his shifter paddle off. And so he, he ended up DNFing, going back to Denver, getting his bike fixed and starting 24 hours after the field. And he passed everybody but me. No kidding. He was literally 22 hours faster than me, but because he started 24 hours behind me, he didn't get the official win. Um, but in my mind, you know, I mean, quote, unquote, technically I won, but really in my mind, Neil definitely won the race. Um, if he hadn't had that little mishap, he definitely would have been right. out there in front by far. Right. Um, but yeah, technically I won. Um, and, and, and I'm not, you know, I think it's great, but um, I'm not like, you know, rubbing that in anybody's face by any means <laughs> uh, <laughs> no you, you deserve I, I, it though it,
2: man take it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you'll be I, back
0: I, I, you know yeah yeah and, and, and you know it's it, i'm not done with the race but um i doubt i'll be winning too anymore just because uh those guys are just going so much faster and are willing to sacrifice um a little bit more than i am at this point um but yeah i mean i i i, I love the car rock trail and i'm going to race it as many times as i possibly can um I won't be able to do it this summer, but I'm hoping to be back the summer after for sure. And um yeah, it's 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 a different experience every time and um and uh it's it's a powerful experience every time and uh it's something that and it's it's a fairly easy one for me to pull off because the logistics are fairly easy. I live halfway between the start and the finish. Um so it's only a four hour ride to the start or finish, depending on which direction it goes. Mm-hmm. Um I know the trail extremely well. Um so it doesn't take a, require a lot of planning. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's an experience that I, I really, really do enjoy and, um, and, uh, it's different every time and, uh, that's what kind of keeps me coming back. So
2: I'll I'll probably keep doing it. Yeah. So when are you going to set out to tour it and not race it?
0: Um, that's a good question. Um, me and my girlfriend have talked about it quite a bit. Um, it's definitely tricky getting time off in the summer. Um, so I would imagine we'll probably end up touring sections of it rather than doing the whole thing. Um, because like you said, it's definitely, you know, getting two weeks off in the summer isn't that easy to pull off. But, um, we've done little sections. We did uh section, uh, 23 this, uh, summer. Um, and that was awesome. Um, and, uh, if anybody's familiar with the, the trail at all, section 23 is a relatively new section. Um, it's been only around for like six or seven years and, uh, it's all above tree line and it is, absolutely spectacular and um it's 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 if anybody wants to do a, a, a day ride or a couple day trip um it's it's not an easy section like i said it's above tree line there's a lot of uh lot of storm activity in that area but it is absolutely magnificent um it's definitely one of my favorite sections of the trail so um yeah we'll probably just keep doing little sections here and there and um, just kind of knocking off little bits
2: yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point and uh I wanted to ask that. So, if somebody wanted to ride some of it but not do the whole thing, is section 23 that's your recommendation of the the one to do?
0: Um, I mean, it's not like it's not the easiest section to do. It's probably got the shortest window as far as um from being
2: snow-free to
0: mm. getting snow again. Um, it's not the section to do. I mean, there are a lot of sections of Colorado Trail that are worth doing. There's only a few sections that are quote unquote not worth doing, so to speak. Um, but no, it's, it's a great section. I would also say the sections from Silverton to Durango or vice versa is spectacular. Um, there's some really great sections off of Kenosha pass and around Breckenridge. Um, there's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of little pits of the Colorado trail that I, 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 I can close my eyes and I can picture and it makes me smile for sure. Um, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be any one section. And if you live in Colorado, um, just finding a section that's relatively close to home that you can work out the logistics for is, 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 good enough reason to do that section. Um, they all have really, really cool bits to them. And, um, um, I would, I would suggest doing anyone that kind of catches your imagination. Um, they're all worth doing section 23 is just one of those sections. That's like, just so incredible. Um, because it's just, it's, it's like, you feel like you're in Switzerland. Um, when you're up there, you can't see, you can't even see the valley floors in a lot of places. All you see are mountaintops. Um, you can't see any towns. You can't see power lines. You can't see hardly anything except mountains. And, um, it, it really is just, just awe inspiring. Um, definitely recommend getting down there, but it's not an easy one to pull off either, but it's definitely, um, just beautiful down there. But, you know, the, Prettiest section I would have to say is probably uh, Molus Pass to Durango mm-hmm. um, if I was i mean that and section twenty three are probably the prettiest sections of the Colorado trail
2: for sure oh you can't uh you can't find yourself lost in the San Juans and not open up your eyes to absolute oh beauty. my gosh. Be the most you know, it's some just, of the most beautiful uh scenery in the world
0: mag- it's just magnificent down there it really is yeah yeah, I love it.
2: The Bearline Plus by 180TAC is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bear Line Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bear Lines. Not only does the Bear Line Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bear Line Plus at 180TAC.com or retailers near you.
1: If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu.
2: So you obviously have a lot of passion uh, for this, and I love that, and that's what our show is about is uh, people that have passion for their adventure sport. So it begs the question, what do you get out of it? What is it that you get out of doing these races in, in this grueling, punishing weather? Um, what does it do for you?
0: Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the short answer is that it kind of makes me kick. Um, I would say that like everyday life isn't necessarily easy for me, like getting up and going to work. Um, I don't like get out of bed and be like, yeah, I'm going to work. (laughs) You know, like I definitely kind of drag myself through everyday life sometimes. Um, and, uh, it it definitely kind of, you know, weighs on me and, um, you know, the, the, the stresses of the world kind of, kind of get to me and stuff. And, and when I'm out there doing these things, it's like, everything gets kind of boiled down and much more simple. And, um, and I think, I think part of what really appeals to me about these races is is they really are all about doing it yourself and being self-supported and, um, really being reliant on your own preparation, your own knowledge and your own relationship with your equipment. And, um, and I really, really, really just feel so comfortable in those situations. Like I love being out there, um, You know, I, well, you know, take a step back. I love looking at what I'm going to go do and, uh, preparing my gear and, you know, making sure that I have the right insulation and the right sleeping and, um, the right bags to carry it. And then when I have all that kind of wrapped up in a way that I feel is very, um, ready to go. And then when I'm out there, I just have that very confidence, inspiring feeling knowing that I've gone through all my gear. I know my gear. I've got what I need. And when I'm out there, I kind of feel like I really am, um, you know, not, not, not in the uh, sense of the of speed, but like, I kind of feel like a turtle, whereas I have everything I need, right. I'm necessarily on my back, but mm. me and my bike is all I need, um, to get to the next spot where I can get food and water. And, um, I just love that feeling of, you know, you've got a course, whatever it is, um, you know, point A to point B along this line and, it's you and your equipment and here's your time and go. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no support vehicles. There's no, you know, all the hoopla. It's just, it's just very simple. in that it's just you and your skills and your gear and, uh, and the route. And, um, and, uh, I really just feel really comfortable in those situations. And I feel really, um, connected. And I feel, um, I feel a lot of power coming out of, um, being out there and just absorbing the, you know, the sunrises and the sunsets and, um, and just the, the vistas and it really, really fuels my soul, I guess you could say. And, um, it's not something that I find, um, in anything else other than, you know, I, I get that same feeling going for just a hike or a bike ride. Um, but I really, really, really absorb it when I'm out there by myself and, um, really pushing myself because it kind of strips away even more of that, Uh, veneer of thought and worry and stress and the longer you're out there the more it strips away that kind of stuff and the more you feel like just a human being out there um in in in, in the woods and um it's uh it just really uh really boils it down and really makes you find the connections to things that are really important and um really make you tick and uh you know I've said before to other people is that You know, when you're out there and you're not sleeping very much and you're doing 20 hours a day of pushing and riding your bike is that you basically are shining a flashlight into all the crevices of your brain. Um, You really get to know yourself and there's no secrets anymore. Like, you know, all your dark spots and you know what makes you, you know, tick, what makes you crazy, what makes you happy. And it really just kind of uh, puts all those things in line and kind of resets your priorities.
2: Yeah, really, really well said. I mean, I couldn't have said it that any better. It's exactly how I feel when I'm out there. I mean, it's that self-sufficiency yet so simplistic, you know, it's that Yeah, we have such busy, crazy lives and we have a bunch of junk in our, in our garage, our house and, you know, everything is going on on a daily basis and we get used to this grind, but you throw a few things on your bike or on your back and you go out there in the middle of nowhere and you're self-sufficient for a few days and it's, it just, everything changes. Like you said, you're grounded and you, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't have said it any better. So good job.
0: It's, it's, it's very purifying. Um, it's just a very purifying experience. And th- and that's one reason why I recommend, you know, not necessarily bike packing, but anything that gets you out there and gets you, um, gets you into some new territory, maybe makes you feel a little, small and scared and a little bit challenged, but down inside you feel good, you know, like you, you, because in those situations, if you did your preparation and your homework and, and things aren't just incredibly awful weather wise, you know, you've got it, you've got, you've got what you need. And, and, and and it also brings what I think is an important thing that I think we forget in everyday life is that humans are capable of so much more than just going to work and paying bills, you know? Um, And I think that, we don't get that far away from it living in Colorado because we're surrounded by such amazing athletes and people just pulling off just amazing things. You're just like, Whoa, you know? And like, and I, and I get a lot of inspiration from that. And I think that, um, it's really important for people to not, not pigeonhole themselves into thinking they can't do something. Um, because you know, like,
3: like,
0: I don't know how to put this in words, but like, I am not like, like a super fit Olympian athlete by any means, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm fairly fit. I'm fairly strong, you know, I know how to train, but like really it comes down to 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 grit and determination um, is really one of the most important things in these races um, i I beat people who are far more fit and far more prepared and have far better equipment than me because I just I know what I can do and um and I think it's really important for people not to not to um not to basically shoot their, their dreams down because they don't feel like they're capable of doing it. Because I think that most people are, uh, are capable of really, really, really great things. And it's just a matter of, um, it's just a matter of really just wanting it and, uh, creating the situation where it can happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, our logo for our show is, uh, you know, it has the mountains, but uh, in the middle of it says find your adventure and larger life. We totally, totally uh, believe in that. I mean, what you just described is exactly why we started this show. It doesn't matter what your adventure is. I mean, it it could be Everest or it could be the tiniest little adventure. But if it takes you outside your comfort zone and you get that feeling of setting out and accomplishing it and you realize that you have the power to do that, it just starts stair-stepping from then on. I mean, once you realize you can do the small thing, you try the next thing, the next thing, and it is so fulfilling. And you're right. We're not meant to be stuck in tiny cubicles (laughs) tapping away on, on keyboards. We're meant to be out exploring this beautiful world that we're on. So, man, thanks for helping me inspire people to do it. And I think
0: that we really are, all capable of that, you know? And actually, I had an interesting conversation with someone the other day, and he was saying, you know, it's a little little bit out there, but he's like, basically saying that, like, he's like, man, even, like, the the, the fattest person you've ever seen, like, their genes, they they survived the last ice age, man. Like, inside of them is, like, a really tough, tough, mm-hmm. tough Neanderthal that can handle it, you know? And it was like, oh, interesting. Good point. I mean, I, you know, it, it really is true. I mean, I really think that um, we... You know, and, and I'm guilty of it because, and I'm still guilty of it, but I was definitely guilty of it for a really long time. And I, I was like, you know, the tour divide is a good example. Like, I was like, whoa. You know, when I first heard about it, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. And then for like seven years, I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, I, I made up a list of excuses why I couldn't do it. And then one day I did it, and it was like, oh, my gosh. I'm doing And, like, it really was just the most amazing experience because I never thought it was actually going to happen. And when it did, it just felt so amazing and (laughs) such a powerful release. And it was like, I felt like I was just like, like 60 floating 60 above my head because the whole time I just felt so high on how amazing it was to be out there living my dream. And, and I just think it's, it's just sad that people don't allow themselves that, um, you know, it's not like, every day of my life is like that by any means you know i have every day my everyday life is going to work and walking dogs and making food and doing dishes and vacuuming the floor just like everybody else but real person you have yeah right (laughs) but if you have that um, at least in your head you know like it really can help ground you in those situations where you're just kind of like i just want to tell my boss stick it and i'm going home you know or instead you're like you know think about it you know like there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen and it's not happening right now, but this is empowering that to happen. And um, just not letting go of that dream, I think, is really important.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, and it helps you get through things. You know, there are tough times in life that if you're, you're of the mind that you can conquer things like this, things you thought you never could, if you've conquered one of these things, then you can address the hard times in life and look at them and say, you know what? This is kind of going to suck, except I did that. I think I can probably make it through this. You know, it's yep. it's a psychological thing. Yeah, it's, once again, it's that building that confidence of knowing that you can handle situations mm-hmm.
3: for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So I want to talk a little bit about fat biking. I saw on your blog, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, you've been doing some fat biking. So I got to be honest, when I you know, fat biking really kind of took off this year, uh, mainstream. And, you know, I see people on the, the dry trail in the summer coming by on a fat bike and I look and I think, okay, I get everybody's got their thing, but I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't <laughs> appeal to me whatsoever. Right. However, right. um, being out riding this past weekend with my son, uh, up in the foothills, we encountered some snow and we got through it just fine. Except when I was on that snow, um, it finally clicked. I'm like, that's, where it made sense in the snow and to be able to get out there and ride in the winter, even when you have uh, snow on the ground with a packed trail, you can go out and have almost, I mean, I say almost, but I imagine just as much fun as you do in the summer yeah. because you finally got a tire that can float on that surface. So tell me a little bit about yep. that. Sell me on fat biking. <laughs> and maybe what we ought to do well, is explain what fat biking is. Cause I'm not sure. I mean, we have a, a varied audience well, yeah, and not everybody's into mountain I biking. I think
0: it's, I think it's kind of interesting how, um, like fat biking kind of exploded a couple of years ago. And, um, and I think it's, it's kind of, it's almost a thing where people were like, like more captivated by the look of them than necessarily mm-hmm. the function. Um, because I mean, really all a fat bike is, is a mountain bike that's evolved to ride on snow um you know like in places like minnesota and alaska they've been doing this for 20 years where they were like (laughs) literally like
2: was necessary (laughs) welding
0: welding two regular mountain bike rims together to get a little bit more of a footprint like they were making their own stuff really and um what we're seeing is, is that um there was enough interest in that kind of stuff that the industry actually started making stuff for it whereas people weren't just making it in their own garages and when, you know, when there's a full-blown manufacturing going on, all of a sudden it's way more available, way more accessible. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, we're seeing that explosion of accessibility. Um, but like you said, a lot of people are using them riding on dirt, um, just riding like a regular bike, um, which is, you know, whatever. It's just whatever floats your boat, kind of like you said. Um, but for me, it's just like, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of cross-country skiing, and I still like cross-country skiing, but I got a little burnt out on it. And um, we have pretty long winters here in Gunnison, and um you know being an endurance cyclist you know you need to keep on your bike at least a little bit and uh, usually that means riding the trainer in the winter and um you do enough of that and you start to hit your trainer yeah, right. <laughs> which is basically where i'm at right now is i i have a really hard time riding the trainer um but i love get. i mean for me a lot of being getting exercise is being outside um so the trainer just doesn't facilitate that and um the fat bike does and um it, for me it's just basically just about riding my bike and uh, it's just a it, it's basically a bike adapted to ride on snow um and um and and it's i think it's funny how some people are really rubbed the wrong way by it and all that kind of stuff and like i i have friends who are like but i like skiing and i'm like i think skiing's great i'm not dissing skiing you know like, i'm glad you like I'm skiing like, stay I, off
2: my fat bike trail <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> well no i mean it, i i think it's all good you know like i mean i, I think that Human-powered activity, I think, is just a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that we should, uh, um, a- as recreationalists, I think that we should stop picking fights with each other and start working together more so that we don't lose access altogether. Because, yeah, um, you know, the, the differences are just so small. And I think it's funny how quick we are to be like, oh, man, that guy, he's a dirt. He's on a fat bike, you know. And when really it's just like, yeah, the guy's on a bike. He's having fun. Right you know, and I, and same thing with like someone's running running, I think that's great, you know, and I, I, I just I, I hate that some people like like to um you know pick on other users to the point of you know basically creating an animosity between the, the user groups, and I think that's really unfortunate a lot of times because we really a lot of times we're out there for the exact same reasons we're just using a different mode of transportation,
2: yeah and, um, absolutely, yes, yeah.
0: yeah, well, well it, you know, it's I, like... like i said i I still ski. I love skiing, um, but I love riding my fat bike too. So
2: right, well, it's like don't knock it till you try it, you know. And that's what I hadn't judged fat bikes as a dumb idea. I just thought I don't see the the uh, attraction to it until I was out there on snow, and I'm like, okay, duh, you know, (laughs) you're being (laughs) short sighted there, guy. You know, this is where it makes the difference. And
0: and I and I will say that riding like um, whether it be groomed or packed or whatever, if it's like you know firm uh, single track is absolutely phenomenally fun i mean we uh we have a little bit of room single track around here and it is i mean it's just so flipping fun to ride it it really is like and i've gone on some group rides with a bunch of people and i mean i've done a lot of group rides in my life and we did a group ride uh probably like a month or so ago and everybody was giggling like we had a, like a 65 a year old guy you know a 50 year old guy we had like we had racers in the group. We had all kinds of different levels of riders. Everybody was giggling and having fun. And I can't think of a regular mountain bike ride that I've been on where you have six or seven people of different abilities. who are all having fun. Because usually it's like the racers are like, can we go a little bit faster? Right, <laughs> and right. People are like, can we take a longer break? I don't even get to stop, you know. And it was just like. It was, it was just like a, 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 it was just to me, it was just a, a, a really good sign that like, it really is just fun. And um, it, it's, it's, it gets people out there and gets people giggling and having fun. And that, that's, I think that's
2: a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Now, I bet the uh, fat bike on snow is a, it's a big equalizer because you're not going to go bombing down a single track trail um, like you would with, with dry, grippy dirt. You know, there are certain limitations that you're going to have. You get pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> if
0: it's packed enough, you can go pretty fast, but you never go fast up though, it's definitely slower, yeah. Right. Um, but it, like I said, it, it maybe just feels like it's
3: fast.
2: <laughs> well, and just to explain but, yeah. to the, some of the listeners not sure what a fat bike looks like if you haven't seen one, it's essentially a mountain bike where the, the front forks and the rear chain stays are wider, uh, enough to accept a larger tire so basically the tire is what is it like four inches probably four or five inches Um, four to
0: five four to five inches is kind of the new standard yeah and it literally is just they, they call it the snowshoe effect where it's literally you're just trying to Increase the, the tire footprint so that you're getting enough float that you don't yeah. sink through
2: the snow. Yep. Yeah. More surface area. Yep. So, yep, yep. exactly. It, it completely makes sense. I am uh, I wanted to talk to you about that because I wanted to tell you my story about uh, not understanding what the whole thing was until <laughs> literally this past summer. So, no worries. <laughs> well, I think what's cool is, uh, you know, I live uh, just north of Boulder and we have uh, Lions up here, is uh, a little town right in the foothills before you go up to uh, Estes Park. And I just recently learned that Redstone Cyclely, I don't have any affiliation with them. They're not an advertiser or anything, but I will give them a shout out because I think this is cool. What they do is they will loan you snowshoes for free if you'll go hike the trails that they want you to hike because they're having people pack down. Yeah, they're having it packed (laughs) down for the fat bikers who are their customer and they're supporting. So they get people to go out there and hike the trails if you're going to go do the Uh, As long as you hike the ones that they want you to do that need to packing down, you get free snowshoe uh, rentals, but they're also supporting these guys, which is an amazing opportunity for both sides. I think it's a great thing that they do.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Get more people out.
2: Absolutely. All right, so yeah. let's wrap it up by. I want to talk about your blog a little bit. Um, I don't, okay. I don't think you have any reason to promote your blog. It's not like you do advertising or take advertising or make money on it. But I was, I was really interested because you've kept up, kept up with it. I think it's an awesome read for those who listen to our show that want some of this inspiration just to kind of read through and and be inspired to do some of this stuff. So your blog uh, is jwookie1.com. It's j w o o k i e uh, dot com, And you've been doing it since it looks like early 2013.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just wanted to kind of point it out. I don't know what drives you to, to keep writing like that. I think a lot of people will start blogs and just kind of fall off and think ah, ah, that, that sounded like a great idea when I began, but it seems like you really keep up with it.
0: I try to, um, I definitely have lapses where I don't, uh, write as often as I should. Um, And it's definitely something where I, I, I don't just write a blog post just to like put something out there. I'd usually, I usually have something I need to say, um, when I write a blog post. So it's not just, uh, uh, because I have to, um, the biggest thing for me with, with the blog, um, it's a really good question because, um, it's something that I'd wanted to do for a really long time because I felt like, um, I guess that sometimes, uh, endurance and ultra racing feels somewhat selfish um, because you're you're kind of putting yourself first, you know. You're worrying about your food, and you're you're saving money, and you're training, and you're traveling. It's all about you, you know. Like it's a lot of a lot of self involvement. Um, and I guess for me, writing the blog was um, kind of a way of feeling better about everything I was doing and trying to share some inspiration. Um, because I feel like I get a lot of inspiration from a lot of other people, and um, not necessarily from reading their blogs, but sometimes reading blogs, but just just getting that little spark of something that kind of changes your, you know, when you're having a bad day and you're kind of grumpy, and you're not sure why you're doing what you're doing. Um, uh, sometimes it just takes a little spark of something to kind of switch your mind over and, um, think about something else and to get inspired. And, um, and I kind of just wanted to pay that back. because, Like I said, a lot of people have inspired me and helped me through a lot of dark times and, um, helped me keep going when I've kind of lost focus. So for me, it was just a, just about sharing that and giving that energy back and hopefully trying to inspire somebody else to do something. Um, because like we've been saying, I think that, um, I think that people getting out and enjoying the world is really important part of what humans are supposed to be doing. And, um, and I'm just trying to kind of pay that forward and kind of get people inspired to get out there and, um, and feel what, feel what those experiences can do for you. Uh, because I really do feel like they've kind of changed my life. Um, you know, like uh, the Colorado trail and um, the tour divide, these experiences really, 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 really changed my life and really made me appreciate being alive. uh, Made me look forward to giving more to the world. And, um, and I just kind of want to just want to play that forward and uh, hopefully inspire someone else to do something. Um, And if I do, then that's fantastic. (laughs) And I would be so stoked um, if I inspire somebody else. So,
2: well, you're doing a good job yeah. with it. And that's why I wanted to, to call it out. And I know, uh, you weren't, you weren't looking to do that, but I, it's for the same reason we do the show. Um, I think that what people can get off your blog is inspiration. If you want to, uh, get inspired and read a little bit more about, uh, uh, I imagine everything, you know, that you've done bike touring and, uh, endurance racing, bike packing, all that stuff is, is on there. So I would point people over yep. to, uh, onecom Go check out his blog. And I
0: also encourage people um, to ask questions in the comments on the blog posts, too. I get quite a bit of uh, feedback from people asking me questions, and, and I really do um, enjoy taking the time to give people little pointers that kind of help them feel a little more confident about getting out there. So if anybody's out there wants to check out my blog and has questions, feel free to to, to leave questions in the comments. I'd be happy to to uh, give me my two
2: cents. Awesome, yeah. What a resource, man. Four-time winner of the uh Chiral Trail Race and uh and 2014 winner of the Tour Divide. You can't get a better person to uh to tap into. So, guys definitely go visit his blog and uh and use him as a resource. <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: Heck yeah, make use of it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Did, free. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: that's that's a good thing. Did you want to give a, a shout out to uh to where you work at all? I don't know if they help you with uh with any sponsorships yeah, or yeah. anything.
0: I work at uh, rock and roll sports in Gunnison and, um, yeah, they definitely support me and what I do. And, um, um, and we support a lot of people in what they do too. We're a bike ski and climbing shop. So we, we, uh, we like to give people gear that gets them out there doing the, doing the cool stuff for sure.
2: Nice. All right, guys. So if you're in Gunnison, Colorado, and you want to go do some mountain biking, or, uh, if you need a mountain bike repair, go uh, go check out, uh, F a and, uh, rock and roll sports in Gunnison. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. That was an awesome hour. And like I said, I didn't get to hardly any of my questions, but I think the information you gave me and the, <laughs> the listeners has been awesome and it was a blast to talk to you. I appreciate it. Heck
0: yeah. No, that's fantastic. I, I'm really stoked to help.
2: Awesome. All right, man. Well, take care and uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for you in the next uh, CTR.
0: Well, it might be next year, but we'll see. <laughs> All right.
2: Well, either way, we'll watch. <laughs> All right, awesome. happy Man, It's good talking to you. Thank you. Night. You too. All right. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.